Hi, I'm Caroline Amos. And I'm Raymond McAnally. And we are... Fatigued. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? (laughs) Raymond, do you want to give us a little introduction to your friend here? Gladly. So Jamie and I went to college together. Um, I I was a little bit ahead of him in school. He is not near as old as I am. But um, I reached out to him to do this because when I started to post and be vocal about getting COVID on social media, all of a sudden, I, I think it was actually exactly when I posted about the the peace of mind and the help that having an oximeter in the house gave me. All of a sudden, I got this message from Jamie saying, I'm on my way to the hospital. Oximeter saved me, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, glad to know you're, you're doing well. And I, I, I was just blown away. Um, That's not a great text to receive from anybody. No, it's not the, the hospital, one you want to hear, yeah. right? Yeah. Not the one you want to hear. But so I reached out to him when we decided to get this project going. And so this has been a few weeks in the making. Um, and after catching up, we just called and, and caught up with each other not long ago and, there was even more. I mean, kind of what we're finding, Jamie, is that the more we, the more we hear from the person about their experience of this, not even necessarily related to contracting COVID, but just how this year has impacted and changed their lives. It's it's fascinating. It's um, compelling. People want to hear those those personal things. So thank you for coming on and and sharing whatever it ends you end up sharing today. So. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I mean, I know that uh, I, I don't know how it's worded other than this has changed everything. And I, I didn't realize how bad it was initially. It kind of flew under the radar. I got really lucky because my, my wife is in medicine and she was looking out for me. She was every single time something would come up, she would be like, hey, we need to check this. We need to check this. And it, it just got worse and worse. And it was it was crazy. So, I mean, I felt that's that's why I reached out because I, I knew what you were going through. And I just, you know, we had that old, you know, Lambda Kai Zach connection. I just wanted to make sure. We're kind of diving in already. So you're who? Who's in your your immediate household circle? Okay, so right now, uh, I, I have a wife and a an 18 month old. His name is Jack. He's the most adorable baby ever. I bet. Now you may ah. I hope your wife isn't um, is, doesn't notice that you said right now I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so about that editing part. <laughs> I got you covered, man. Don't worry. Safe with me. Great. Um and, and two amazing dogs. That's 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 our household. We we do have another little little baby on the way. Oh you do. Congratulations. Oh Congrats. She's doing a month. So yeah. oh that's my what God. happens when you're at home all the time together during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> she was very much planned. Okay. But but yeah, it it, it would have happened either way. Right? <laughs> <sighs> so so we, we know who's in your household. Um we know that you've got a beautiful uh, child on the way who's gonna be here like any day now. Um what I'd love to know is uh, a, a rough timeline of when you contracted COVID and do you know how you got it and are you comfortable sharing it? So I will preface this by saying that I have no clue how I got it, but I was, I'm not going to say I was not being careful, but I am going to say that I was, you know, I would occasionally go get a drink at a bar. I would occasionally mm-hmm. go to a restaurant and that means when you sit down, you know, at least the law in Michigan is right now, while you're walking through the restaurant, mask on. When you get to your table, mask off. And most places, I mean, you can watch them. They take the sanitizing very seriously. But at the end of the day, they don't sanitize the seats. They don't, you know, yeah. you don't know what's, you don't know how well it, re- it really is going on. But I assumed that that would be enough. And apparently my suspicion, if I had to guess where I got it, that's that's probably where yeah um if if not there the grocery store because you know i i was trying my best to follow the precautions and like i said most restaurants if if i saw they weren't sanitizing i'd leave um the only other place that i was going was the grocery store so it was it was one of those 
I just did an interview with a friend who runs uh, Nashville Restaurant Radio, and I, mean, I can't remember if it was in the interview or us catching up, but we were talking about um, the protocols. And you know, he he actually runs a business where he works with multiple restaurants and helps them with their management. And so he's seeing protocols across multiple locations. And but the thing that none of these, no matter how good these restaurants are. You can't sanitize the air. You can't mm-hmm. account for all the people who might be coming to your place who are asymptomatic or haven't shown symptoms yet, so they don't know that they even have it. It's man, it is. You know, I'm, I'm, it doesn't sound like you are, but I'm glad you're not beating yourself up too much about it. It's very human to want to get out and do those things, um, but yeah, most likely that was probably your highest level of exposure. Most likely. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and. Um, you know, in retrospect, you know, I have, uh, I'm not going to say it was, it wasn't worth the risk, but that's kind of what, where my heart is, you know, just because looking back, you know, it doesn't, it didn't, at the time, it didn't seem like, you know, oh, everybody's taking all the right precautions, everybody's doing the right thing, but I had to get it somewhere, and I, I got it, and, you know, looking back, I just, I realized that it was, maybe it was a bigger risk than I realized, and, you know, I, I didn't appreciate that at the time, I guess is where I'm going. So that said, we um, we don't know where you got it. When when was this? Oh geez, um, you know it's been a couple months. Raymond, when when did we? When did I first message you? Because it was I had I I was probably about five days really into my symptoms when I messaged. So you. that was early November. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. So um, yeah, it's been about six weeks, seven weeks. Um, I know that in Michigan at that time it was really spiking. But I was on the very front of the spike in Michigan because I went and got tested. Um, my wife, you know, at first I didn't appreciate that I even had COVID. Initially, I was talking to my mom and I'm like, oh, my, my, I have this weird headache. My skin's crawling. When it first started, it, it started so subtly and not at all what I was expecting with those classic symptoms. I was complaining to my mom about having a headache and she thought, well, we've got migraines in our family. You probably have a migraine. Hmm. And then... The next day I started to think, well, maybe it's a sore throat that for some reason I've got a headache. And then I thought it was the flu. And then at that point, that's, you know, and it kind of every single day I was re-diagnosing myself with something else. And honestly, COVID never really popped into my head until I got to the flu. Then I started thinking, well, maybe there's a small chance. And then my wife got involved and she's like, go get a COVID test. Quit, quit kidding around, go get a COVID test. And I did. And it took about two days for me. Or a day and a half, two days uh, for me to get my results, and it came oh, back that's positive. Great. That, yeah, not that it came back that positive, point, but that it was a very quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that was then. <laughs> um, and but at that point, we pretty much already knew because at that point, my w- w- wife was watching me very closely, and um, we hadn't got to we weren't watching my my excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, we hadn't got to my uh, oxygen saturation yet watching that, but we were watching my, I had turned feverish. So um, my fever had jumped up to over a hundred by the, by the end of this, it would be alternating between a hundred and 103, depending on the day. Wow. It would just kind of oscillate back and forth to the point where my wife was giving me, you know, ice baths at home. You know? Oh, wow. Do you mind, can we, can we go into um, what was the hospital like? Uh, what led to that? Yeah, so my wife um, suggested that we get a pulse ox monitor. She said we need to watch your OSATs. That's something. So one of the symptoms I was having after we knew it was COVID is, you know, I've always been a bigger guy, but I've always still been, you know, somewhat athletic. You know, when I was at Swanee, you know, I was uh, I weighed 240 pounds, but I still ran two miles every day. You well, know, um, I did not do that. <laughs> I weigh 115 pounds and I can't do that. <laughs> well, I I don't need more. Let's let's clarify. But I've I've never been the type of person that would like run out of breath going up and down the stairs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um I would almost pass out just coming downstairs from my bedroom upstairs. Oh my god. Um my knees would be weak and it it was it was crazy and I just assumed I was tired. I didn't know what was going on. And my, my wife, her medical stuff kicking in right now, she's like, you've got COVID, you're weak. That's, that's, that means your, your oxygen levels. And how fast did that come on? How fast did you get to that, that level? Uh, I would say that was, 
that was before I was delirious when I was no, started noticing that probably after four days from when I first noticed symptoms within four days, I was, I was at a point where I could barely walk from down the stairs. Um, I would just wanted to lay in bed and that's what I did for a solid like 10 days after that. Um, other than, you know, my trip to the ER when I had to go to the bathroom or something, but, um, but yeah, I didn't want to come downstairs for anything. So we pulled up a mini fridge next to the bed and, you know, everything we could to make it easier on us. Cause again, Lindsay was just as rough as we were. Yeah. Our parents were dropping off soup and Mike was bringing it upstairs and leaving it outside our door. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, so Lindsay ordered a pulse ox monitor on Amazon, had it shipped overnight. Um, I initially whipped out my, my handy dandy iPhone or my iWatch. Cause that can take your, uh, stats level. Yeah. That's a new what? feature. Yeah. Yeah. I can do it right now. Well, I'll do it in a minute. But um <laughs> uh yeah, so I whipped it out and checked my my stats level and it said it was in the I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the mid 80s. Oh and Lindsay gosh. said that that's 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 pretty low. It's not bad enough to where you're going to like die, but it's 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 low to where it needs to be treated to where if it gets worse, it could cause bad things. And so I um I I went to the ER for that. Uh, that was pretty much the exclusive reason I went. But so it was more. Was, it was more the reading on the oximeter or your your watch that that told you you should get to the hospital, or was it symptoms that made you even check in the first place? Well, no, yes, the symptoms made me check, but that's that's the moment my wife went being from I can treat you at home to you need to be in the hospital. Okay. And at this point, the other thing I hadn't mentioned is I was also very dehydrated. Um, my t at this point, my taste buds had changed. And as you probably noticed, cause we can see each other. I don't think they'll be able to see us. I have my handy dandy little diet pop. I drink about five of these a day. That's cool. pretty much exclusively what I survive on is fluid. I don't drink water. I hate water. It's gross. I it's hate water too. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh, oh me, my gosh. You probably, <laughs> you probably run a little dehydrated then if you're drinking that, just that. Yeah, I, I, I probably do. But, um, yeah because the taste changed and I couldn't stand the taste. I pretty much just quit drinking and without really thinking it was more subconscious. Like, I don't feel well. It'll be, it'll, I'll drink something tomorrow. And a, a few days later, a couple of days later, um, I was, I was starting to get really, really bad, like skin crawly. Like it felt like a terrible flu. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that that was probably dehydration because once I got rehydrated, that all went away. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was starting to ache a lot. Um, like, terrible headache you know things like that and it just made it just made it worse i just wanted to lay there and well yeah because like, all of that stuff are those are symptoms of um dehydration and severe dehydration for sure mm -hmm. yeah um but yeah long story short we wound up uh i went to the, to the hospital over over this and uh um got in there and i was at triage and they actually checked my uh oxygen levels and it was probably because I was standing up and walking around. It actually said I had my OSATs were at 94. Oh, so, so they'd gone back up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I had, there was a weird little moment where, where I walked out before we got our pulse ox at home that confirmed it was low. And then I went back. So there was a little bit of a twist there. Yeah. But yeah, that's how that all played out. Wow. So how long were you in the hospital? Uh, overnight. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, you didn't have to go on a respirator or anything like that, right? No, thankfully it was it was not that severe. Um, you know, the the two issues I was having were were, were dehydration and I, I needed, you know, um, breathing treatments yeah. to get my my uh, so oxygen back up. Because you're the first person we've we've talked to thus far for the podcast. If you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners, your first person we've talked to for this who who was actually in the hospital for something mm -hmm. respiratory related. What what were those those treatments that they gave you? Okay, so the the first thing is, um, so they put they put you on oxygen. And now this, I was, um, it's it wasn't a respirator or anything like that. It was it was. Um, they also gave me albuterol, so it was it was uh, the the same type of treatment. Have you ever heard of a nebulizer? Do you guys know what a mm -hmm. nebulizer is? We yeah, we covered it in episode four with Doctor Jen. <laughs> okay, yes, we did. So it's it's very similar to a nebulizer treatment. Um, they they basically run pure oxygen through a um, through albuterol. So it's giving you medicine and oxygen. And between the albuterol, opens your throat, helps you relax, all that stuff. It's 
the same stuff that asthmatics take. So basically it's like a little liquid that they put in like a little vaporizer thing. So the oxygen runs through it and picks it up droplets the same way that COVID gets into the air. It puts albuterol in the air and then it gets in your throat, helps you feel better. Um, and albuterol anyways, is a steroid, correct? That I don't know. I'm not. Oh. I'm not a physician, unfortunately. No, neither are we. So <laughs> we no, can tell no, you about no problem it, there. He can tell you about I, the I, patent of albuterol. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a patent guy. I'm a pat, I'm a patent lawyer. Oh. Um, but um, I, I I don't know if it is because I know that later on I was prescribed several things uh, for subsequent treatments for you know lingering effects. I was prescribed albuterol and separately steroids. Oh, gotcha. So, Okay. So my suspicion is they're not, mm -hmm. but if you have other information, you might be right. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that I know that later I was prescribed albuterol. Give steroids. the disclaimer. We are not doctors. We are just speculating about things on a podcast. Don't use us as medical help. We are just here talking and hopefully providing enjoyment for whoever is listening to this thing. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> yes. We're taking smart guesses that could totally be very dumb guesses because we don't know something. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pandemic. It's a, new, dropping, it's a new virus. We don't know anything at this point. Man. We're dropping keywords that you can Google for yourself. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that was the main treatment for the OSATs, and that worked. That, that helped me get my OSATs up. Cool. And then the treatment for dehydration was classic IV um, saline. You know, it's so funny you mentioned hating water and being dehydrated. I have been chronically dehydrated my entire life because I hate water so much. It's boring. I don't care about it. <laughs> if I'm going to drink, I want it to be coffee or whiskey or wine. I don't want it to be water. But I actually had a, a totally opposite effect when I had COVID because I knew I was by myself and I knew no one was there to take care of me. So I had to actually like step up my game in terms of self-care. And I was starting to drink, I, I probably drank about, uh, you know, two really big bottles of water a day. Is it enough? No, but it's more than I've ever drank in a day in my entire life. <laughs> and the funny thing is that after having COVID, my body is now so aware of when it's dehydrated. And I'm actually voluntarily drinking water more frequently because I know that I'm going to start having the bad feelings again. And I associate those bad feelings with having COVID. So in a weird way, COVID was very helpful for my water drinking <laughs> experiences. I'm very proud of me, but I hate COVID. So, Yeah, my, my wife did the same thing. Like once I got home from the hospital and I'm like, yeah, I was super dehydrated. She literally just like bam, 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 water. So, like, every single, every single morning I'd wake up and there are literally just like four water bottles sitting next to my bed. And she's like, yeah, before you get up, you're drinking those. Yeah. Good. good. And then I'll have more for you later. But so she was forcing me to drink a lot and it also know, helped. she was taking good care of me. Um, so at what point did you start, uh, rounding the bend and, and feeling better? It was actually probably a week later. So, um, at that time, for whatever reason, I didn't have my fever wasn't an issue. That wasn't something that they had to worry about. But whenever I was at home, that was something we were battling. So I know that one of the things my wife kept doing is she'd make me take, you know, cold baths and like ice baths. And um, if, when I say ice bath, it wasn't literally, I mean, she, it wasn't to the point where she was getting ice and dumping it in there with me, but it was to the point where she's drawing cold ass Michigan fresh out the well water Ooh, you know, yeah. well, and throwing me in it and saying, yeah, yeah, this is the bath you're taking today. I stay in here for an hour. You know? She's oh, amazing, wow. by the way, with everything that you're describing about how she took care of you. Like, I want to give this woman a high five because on top of being sick and like helping you through this, like she sounds like an amazing person. You know, I'm going to have to agree with you 100%. Honestly, I don't deserve her. She's way too good for me. Oh, so God. she is. She's perfect. Awesome. Oh my God, that's so sweet. <laughs> I'm not going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she took really good care of me. Um, after about, like I said, I think all in all, I was bedridden for, you know, I, it, the exact number is getting a little fuzzy because I didn't write it down or anything, but it's, you know, 10 days, two weeks-ish mm. is uh, for the most part. I, I'd probably say 10 days is where I just didn't want to move and probably two weeks where I was primarily in the bed. Gotcha. And then um, I started getting better to the point where I felt good enough to where I could go downstairs without feeling like I was going to pass out. 
and I'd go, you know, try to sit downstairs and watch the news to catch up with what the heck is going on in the world. Yeah. Or yeah, because you know, there was a few things going on in November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or or watching The Mandalorian because that's more important than the election. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, that's a plug. I will do every day, all day. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's funny because as quickly as it came on, it did not end that way. Um, as far as the effects went, it took, uh, it just kept getting stretched out. I, I still felt rotten. Even after I was up moving around, I still felt rotten for, you know, I don't know, a week, two weeks after that. And it slowly got better. I had a lingering cough for probably a month to the point where I feel better now. Last week when I was talking to Raymond, I had, it was probably every 10 minutes where I felt like I had to cough. Mm. Yeah, um, you now, had made a statement to me that you had gone from... I don't know, something over a, a dozen coughing spells a day to like, you, you were happy that you were down to one to three a day or something. I was, it blew me away. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually haven't really had a big coughing fit. I mean, I still occasionally have a, like a I feel like, like right now I feel like I've got something in my throat and I need to cough, but I'm trying my best to suppress it. Hey man, you can cough. Um, we're not going to judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can You're not going to give your germs over here. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, but my dog is right over there, and he's looking at me really sad, and it scares him. So, oh, buddy! Oh. Yeah. How would you describe um, the cough? Is it, it is it like anything that you'd experienced before? Is it dry? Is it wet? What? Um, one of the things that you know, normally when I cough, it's it's you feel like you got something in your throat. When I cough now, I'm getting stuff out of. Every, still now, I still cough stuff up. I get like a little, it's kind of gross, a little phlegm, uh-huh. little little something. And so that's coming from um, your chest, you feel like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. Su- super gross question, but what <laughs> color is it? Um, you know, I haven't really inspected it because I kind of, it comes up and I'm not like, oh, like, let's check this out. And normally I'm just like, get it away from me. Oh, fair. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I inspect. I, I inspect. I, I grew up taking first aid courses for boy scouts and then wilderness EMT stuff. And like, I, I always look to see what kind of infection it is. So, yeah. What level. Uh, when it, when it first happened, it kind of caught me off guard. And I think the reason why I haven't been inspecting it is because, you know, I know that this is, I think this is unrelated, but there was a little bit of blood in it and that's why it kind of freaked me out. Oh. But the reason why I, I think that's unrelated, that's just because my lungs get really dry here. That's not uncommon here. My throat and lungs get really dry because we're really far up North and the humidity drops no. and it's brutal humidity. So sometimes like the inside of your, like your, your lungs and stuff when you sleep will, will dry out and like crack and stuff. So I, I don't think that's related at all. And, but it was a little, and that's, Kind of the reason why is it was kind of gross. So I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, that's, well, but it's super there's a gross. lot of, but there's a lot of, there was a lot more of it that was kind of, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Snotty, flummy, mucusy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I went blood. through, I went through that. My two main um, symptoms uh, from start to finish and then lingering were sinus um, blockage and drainage um, and the fatigue. And those two things, went on for over well over a month i feel like only last week which is probably gosh i think it's week seven only last week did both of them start to really ease up yeah that's crazy it's like i said it's it's unlike anything i've ever experienced which considering it starts like everything else you've ever experienced i you know it almost terrifies me a little bit because if i didn't weren't living with Lindsay, i would have dismissed every single symptom I had early on. I would have, I would have said, this is this, this is this. I would have been playing my own doctor. And if I lived alone, by the time I realized, Hey, this is serious. I mean, I was, I was really struggling, you know, yeah. I would have, it, it's the type of thing, you know, was my phone close enough to call 911 or did I even care at that point? Because I, I can tell you right now that those points where my temp fever was really high, where I'm calling it delirious, even though it might not have medically been, I wouldn't have even cared. I would have just I don't care. I just want to go to bed. Leave me alone. Yeah. You know, that resonates. and I could, yeah, I, I could totally see this sneaking up on people, which is, but by the time, by the time I was actually sick and, you know, kind of in the full front of it, it was like nothing else I'd ever experienced. You know, people keep trying to compare this to the flu and that's just, that's 
it's not it's not doing it justice i'm, no. I'm sure to some people that might be how you experience it but i've had bad flus before to where people are feeling feeling for you i think a lot of us have it was it was nothing like this you know one of the, the two things i learned from Lindsay on this is there's two things you really need to watch you know if you've got covid and that's your temperature and your osets yeah those are both incredibly critical because either one of those can for lack of a better term they can kill you both of those are very serious on their own and when you have both together it's just that much more serious and i think it's a, a tragedy that people don't realize you know th- th- this somehow turned political and the people don't realize that look at those numbers because they mean something you know yeah um so you know if for for what it's worth anybody listening to this podcast if you if you have covid get a pulse ox monitor get a thermometer check those temperatures every couple hours yeah. you know if your temperature gets above 100 100 degrees it's time to start asking some tough questions and maybe consider going to the er if you're if your uh, oxygen sats drop below 90 it's time to talk about going to the er because that's those are the two conditions that either one of them can cause a lot of problems yeah. and i mean there may be more i'm not trying to give you medical advice i'm not a physician again but i just i know through my wife that those are both very serious conditions you're a lawyer a patent lawyer yes that is correct and you also come from a different background with that too you you recently got your law degree but your undergraduate training um was in chemistry correct that's correct in terms of your because you you kind of you started practicing law last year is that correct uh, so it depends on what you what we mean by practicing law. So um, patents are a different area of law. Mm-hmm. So to be a patent attorney, you actually have to pass two different examinations. One is the classic bar examination. That's the one I just recently took. But then the one I took the other one 10 years ago okay. to sit for the other. It's called the patent bar to sit for the patent bar. You actually don't have to be a lawyer. You have to be something very special. It's called a, uh, a scientist or an engineer. <laughs> very special. <laughs> um, Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyways, if you pass that one, you you earn the title patent agent. A patent attorney means you're both a patent agent and an attorney at law. And the, there's a difference. So patent patent agents practice in front of the patent office. So you don't need a law degree to do that, to file patents for people. That I've been doing for a very long time. Got it. Um, that doesn't require a law degree. But what you do, what, what does require a law degree is if I want to sue somebody in the courts for infringing a patent or I want to negotiate a contract or something like that. That's normal law stuff. So a patent attorney means you can do everything with patents. A patent okay. agent means you only help people get patents. And a normal attorney might sue somebody for infringing a patent, but they can't help you get one. So um, that and the Supreme Court has clarified in a case called Spelly that um, that it is considered the practice of law to work in front of the patent office. So I'm just trying to clarify right now to anybody listening. So technically I've been practicing law for 10 years, but in a very limited scope. Got it. Got it. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, yeah. And I didn't, I certainly didn't know that. Um, I was just curious given, given that unique perspective, what do you, do you foresee any, any changes coming up? with these new vaccines have you is there anything already making waves in your your industry with how how covid might have affected um any medical patents or um just a general law perspective um yeah there's there's i uh several um first of all i want to emphasize that um i know a lot about the fda i've um i used to work for a drug company when before i got into the law i worked for abbott pharmaceuticals and uh, they're based out of North Chicago. That was uh, my first job after I graduated undergrad before I went to grad school in chemistry. And I did uh, pharmaceutical and analytical research and development for them. And I, I've also taken uh, FDA law and law school. And I can tell you I'll, that the FDA, they really are, they're, they're good people. And it's a very, very scientifically driven process oh. from start to finish. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that right now is because there's uh, a conspiracy theory going around that people are really worried about the effects of the vaccine. And I just want to point out that both from the technical side, I've worked with them in a practical aspect. I've worked with, I've, I've studied them from the legal aspect and they really are trying to do the best thing they can. And they really do put a lot of science into it before they release a drug. And I know that the, the Pfizer drug got, it didn't get, I don't think it got final approval yet, but it got the the recommendation for final approval Friday is my understanding. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the last step. It's already been through clinical trials. It got it got it, you know, went through an emergency provision, but that doesn't mean that they didn't do the research to make it safe. Um, a lot of people are under this impression that, you know, when a drug gets final approval that we already know all the long-term side effects. We don't. <laughs> drug, right. We don't we don't put drug tr drugs don't spend 30 years in clinical trials to see the long-term side effects before they come out. This is no different than any other drug. What the emergency provision means is that it was it was done in a much more limited targeted scope. That means we didn't look at the whole population. We didn't account for some what happens if somebody's pregnant. So there are risk factors, but those mm -hmm. risk factors are warned about. Mm -hmm. This is no more dangerous than any other drug. And that comes from both the scientific and the legal perspective. This is and you great are, to know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, That's why I wanted you. to ask it because we, I mean, you not only being a being an attorney um, and knowing that aspect of it, but but being a chemist as well. I was so curious. Um, right now, I, it seems like you just mentioned that they were limited populations studied because of the emergency aspect of of trying to get these vaccines out there. Right. I'm also seeing what I think are, are news articles that are saying that they're also going back and doing those studies as quickly as they can. So on, on pregnant populations. So that is happening. Yes. Um, my understanding is all that is happening. Um, it's, it's not going to be overnight. It might be, you know, another nine months, a year before we have that data, but they are doing those studies trying to fill in the gaps and what we know. But, you know, an, another thing that I do want to point out is, what most people don't realize is when these studies are done, they're almost always done on male populations in their twenties. Always. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, people are upset because, well, what, what's going to be the effect on a pregnant woman that happens with every single drug we test. It's always done with a control group of men in their twenties. That's always where it starts. That's Why is that? so frustrating because we're trying to remove variables from a scientific perspective. Hidden variables are a big problem. You know, it's, it's just like when you're making a philosophical argument you know, if you if you don't know all, you know, if you don't know all the premises, it's really hard to arrive at the correct conclusion because right. um, you don't really know what's going else into the, what else is going into the logic. It's the same principle here. So, we, so males the control, in their 20s, we try to control all that. Males in their twenties are the are the easiest control group sample, basically. Correct, um, and it, it, a lot of it has to do with you know the. Well, we'll just say the biology of women is far more complicated than the biology of well, it's, men. Well, it's far less researched. There's far less information about it. Uh, yeah, that, that's fair. And but it's it's more likely like if a woman gets pregnant, that that throws that changes everything. You know, that's so many hidden variables in terms of her hormones that completely change. Women, you know, another thing that I, you know. Like it or not, women go through a monthly cycle that men don't go through that changes hormones. That affects things. That affects biochemistry. That affects the way the body processes things. And a lot of, you know, these drugs all work differently. And we're trying to make sure we understand them from every level. With guys, that doesn't happen. It's a lot easier to understand it. And you start from that. So that way, when you start giving much, it to women. We are just much, much for for often wrong reasons much simpler we are just <laughs> that is not where i thought that and, sentence was and going dumb. and i was fully prepared to just end no, the it's, conversation it's the, <laughs> jokingly i i had a i had a friend who was a uh, a med student back in college who used to describe it as the difference between studying an outhouse and studying the plumbing on a mansion <laughs> <laughs> men, men are the outhouse. <laughs> oh, thank you for but, the clarification. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all, all, all that goes into one simple point, and that's that this drug is no different than any other drug in the way it went through the FDA, and that it went through a little quicker. But the FDA, you know, they're not going to approve it if they're not confident that it's it's the two requirements are safe and effective. Mm -hmm. A lot of different things go into those two. Two, two different prongs, but if it's not safe and effective, the FDA is not going to give it seal of approval. And like I said, they, they always attach it. They're, it's a scientific organization and they really, really, their entire job is to make sure it's, that it's good for the public. It's in the public's best interest. And they take that seriously. Yeah. You know, I hope so. I, I don't understand why people keep trying to discredit them. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. Well, they're, I mean, there's so much misinformation out there. And I think a lot of people, um, they want confirmation bias, right? If you're already nervous about the vaccine and you want to find information that just makes you more nervous and, and confirms your anxiety around it, people are going to find that. There's also a lot of people out there putting out whatever they want to. There's anti-vaxxers. There's, you know, there's an entire 
I mean, we've got like QAnon and anti-vaxxers who are just undoing so much of this work uh, for for science, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not surprising to me that there's people out there that are, it's not surprising to me that there are people who are skeptical of it, just given, you know, we've already had such a hard year, you know, is what oh, yeah. what's going to be next? Is this going to be like our version of Chernobyl, right? Is this going to like make mutations and all kinds of crazy stuff happen to the human race? Are we going to be screwed as a result of this? I, 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 the fear is is understandable, but the misinformation is not uh, justifiable. Well, that's why you yeah. wait until twenty twenty one to take it. Yeah. New year. <laughs> new year, new me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all this stuff is so human. I think um, in our episode five, Josie brings up the fact that because she was a public health major. And she was bringing up the fact that she wasn't sure if, um, you know, what her degree was going to be worth because they're they're currently even while she's finishing up as a senior, they're rewriting all the textbooks because of this. But that there are some things she cited, you know, I think influenza um, in the early 1900s that there are patterns to the behavior. And I've looked up history.com has actually done the History Channel has actually done some really great. Um, not op-eds, but graphic articles that with historians pointing out, okay, here, here is actually the reaction we're seeing now from the population about masks, about whatever. It mirrors what happened back then. Here's, here's the reaction. Mm. Um, and I, I do think it's very human for misinformation to get out there what, and for skepticism and for people to say, I don't, I don't know that scares me. And I'm also simultaneously not going to do anything to make myself feel good about it. I'm just going to live in my my fear of it and let that possibly keep me from making my life better. Yeah. Um, that is very human yeah. in a way that always shocks me, but I'm sure, I mean... I'm the, sure there's got to be a link too. to Darwinism here, right? Like, is this our today's <laughs> version of survival of the fittest? You know, is it like the people who are going to be afraid and look for the misinformation that confirms their bias already? Are they the people? Are they are they not going to make it? You know, ooh, that's dark. Ooh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have nothing to add to that other than oh my god. <laughs> Well, There's the clip for this episode, oh, right? Yes. There. <laughs> no, everyone's gonna be so depressed. But before we move on, is there anything else from a legal perspective that that you would like that you've been thinking about that you would like to share? The only other thing I can think of that's that's on point from the legal perspective right now is I know there's a lot of there's there's kind of a liability issue that goes with COVID too. And, and that has to do with uh, right now. So the classical definition of, of negligence, it's a four elements test. It's, it's a tort, which is a fancy way of saying you can sue people for money for doing it. And I, I'm kind of curious what's going to happen with the negligence aspect, because mm-hmm. classically um, negligence requires four things. It, it's, it happens when you have a duty of care, that you breach that causes injury. So four elements, duty of care, breach, causes injury. And you spend a lot of time with that when you take torts your first year of law school. And my, my question is, you normally, normally when somebody commits a tort, you know, uh, you accidentally ram somebody on a motorcycle. Well, you had a duty not to hit them. You breached it when you hit them. That caused them injury. Pretty simple, right? Hmm. You know what happens. There's a, a big issue that's come up here with this and I don't have an answer to this. I just kind of want to point this out that we might be, I, I don't know how the law is going to adapt to this situation because we, I think we would all agree. We have a duty of care to protect our friends around us, not to make them sick with, sick with a life threatening disease. Now I know there's debate on how bad COVID really is, but let's say, let's assume for the point I'm trying to make that it's, it's as deadly as um, that everybody thinks, or that most people think that the scientists are saying, if, if it really is that deadly, you have a duty to protect people from it. Mm-hmm. If you breach that duty by not wearing a mask, by doing the wrong things, and that causes injury, you can cause people's death. And there's a legal, there's a legal um, 
there could be legal liability there. Yeah. The the issue with this is something you normally don't see. It goes back to causation. Who caused it? If you have 50 people that didn't wear a mask, which person's particle landed on that person's that made them sick, that put them in the hospital and they died. And I don't know how the legal field is going to adapt to this because you have to be able to prove that causation element. Mm. Um, and again, you spend a lot of time with that in law school and what does it mean to cause something? And that's going to be a hard one to prove. But I, the reason why I want to point it out is because I think in some situations it'll be easier to prove. If you're an employer and you require your everybody that works for you to come to work every day. And that's the only time they're outside of the house and they can prove that they never left the house except to come to work. Guess what? They, they might be able to prove that their boss made him sick. And if they wind up getting somebody else sick or they die, mm-hmm. their boss might have liability. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, that's, and that's currently one of the issues being cited for the holdup in Congress on approving the next stimulus bill. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. That's um. I know that the I I, I want to attack this from a very apolitical perspective as possible, but I know that the GOP that's really important to 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 the right right now is to protect businesses because they want to reopen. You call Whereas, them the GOP, <laughs> the GOP. The GOP. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer. You know, I I only say my acronyms real quick, all clever. I used to get yelled at that when I was a patent examiner, and there's something called the MPEP, the Manual for Patenting Examin- Examining Procedure. Everybody calls it the MPEP. I called it the MPEP. And, and nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, the MPEP says it here. And they're like, what the hell is the MPEP? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the GO, yeah, it's a it's a sticking point right now um, where we're, we're recording this on December 13th. Sticking point right now that the GOP is is wanting liabilities for um, the liability to be taken away for businesses in, in case someone got infected on their site. Is that just, do you know if that's just for employees or is that for customers? Do we even know? I, I, my understanding is that that's an employee thing. Hmm. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, and the reason why I think that is, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't want to go on record as saying either way because I'm not sure. Sure. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think through my brain and I'm realizing I'm making an assumption there. So I, I don't know the answer to that question, yeah. but I, I know like that. like a true lawyer. <laughs> but it's true. I haven't heard it defined. I haven't heard it, um, you know, because we're getting this information primarily through news sources. So nobody's gone as far as to just to delve into that any article that I've read delve into it. So I can definitely look it up and, and kind of follow up with you guys to let you know. It's, you know, I, I can't imagine it's they, they wrote it convoluted trying to confuse people because mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to crank these things out quick. But well, I've been the- wondering about the about the lawsuits that might come up with states I and mean, states and local municipalities, what kind of liabilities they've opened themselves up to um, with business owners who are, are seeing, you know, loss of income, loss of livelihood, bankruptcy. The problem, the problem with that, from that perspective is there's a concept that, you know, we were founded in the, you know, when America was founded, we still, you know, there were still Kings all over the world. We were the first modern democracy, right? And we kind of clung to a few ancient traditions. And one of those ancient traditions we clung to is an idea called sovereign immunity that Mm. still exists, Mm. that exists in America. You actually can't sue a state unless they give you permission to sue them. So in all 50 states, there's a statute somewhere that's literally a list of we will let you sue us for A, B, C, and D. If it's not on that list, you can't sue them, period. End of story. They're completely. You couldn't even take it to the federal level? Uh, Well, there's there's also a, a case that goes back to the the confederacy that basically you, you, yeah, you can't sue the state if it's not on that, that, uh, there's a case, I can't remember the name of the case, but you study it in uh, con law, but basically the, the basic premise of this case was, um, some Southerners lended a bunch of money during the, the, it's Civil like War. we're giving you a, an oral examination. right now <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but quickly they, they, they lended money to the, to their, their states to pay for the war effort. And when the war was over, they said, hey, we want our money back. And the state said, yeah, they had rejoined the union at this point. They said, yeah, we're not giving you your money back. So they tried to sue the state and federal court. And the federal court basically backed the states, you know, trying to keep the southern states happy and said, you're right. You can't sue them. You know, even though you have a contract with them, you can't sue the states for contracts. Contracts are voluntarily enforced. Even if a state agrees with some, to you with something in writing, if they don't say in their own statutes you can sue us for this, which these states didn't, you can't sue them for that. So there's, like I said, there's a statute everywhere. And so every state would actually probably be different in that regard. But my suspicion is that it's, 
you know, states want, they want their people to trust them. So they're going to let you sue them for some things because otherwise people are going to be up in arms. You know, you're just mm -hmm. railroading us and we can't do anything about it. So they're going to open the door to some liability, but there's other times where they just close the door completely. You know, that, that comes up in, in criminal law. There's, there's a big pushback right now where we're trying to, you know, uh, get people out of jail that were put in jail, you know, for spurious reasons or with sketchy evidence and they get out and you just rob them of 20 years of their life and they try to sue the state for a sketchy prosecution. And the state's like, yeah, we're going to let you sue us for 5,000 a year. We might've taken away 20 years of your life. Here's a, you know, yeah. here's a 40 grand to restart. You know, that's totally what 20 years of your life is worth. Yeah. There's been some huge high profile cases about that in the last few years. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the, the, because of sovereign immunity, they're completely immune to suit unless they say you can sue them. And even then it's within the limits that, that they set. So as far as the state goes, there's, I would imagine there's not going to be that many lawsuits. They're just going to get thrown out. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Oh man. That gets so, that gets so complicated when you consider the fact that especially with small businesses that have, uh, you know, had to remain open, that we've received no little to no government assistance by way of finances. And it's such a it's such a tricky, vicious cycle to see, a, mm -hmm. a you know, you receive no money, you must remain open. People are unemployed and not making enough on unemployment. They must stay employed. They go to work, they get COVID, they die. And even if you wanted to seek any retribution for that, um, you can't. Yeah, there was a, a stat um, that I heard earlier this week from it's a, it's a guy on YouTube that I listen to all the time. He's a really nice guy, but he gives a, a stimulus package update to explain the news. I like him because he's very apolitical. Here are the facts. Um, I can send you guys a link afterwards so you can credit him properly if that, if, since I'm bringing him up. Cool. But he, he started talking about a stat that he was given by the National Restaurant Association. Uh, National Restaurant Association to disseminate. Um, They're apparently begging Congress for help right yeah. now because 17.1% yeah. of all restaurants in the United States have gone out, have not only closed their doors during COVID, but have completely gone out of business. Yeah. So that's almost one out of five. That's what, one out of six? One out of six restaurants yeah. has closed their doors permanently just because the way everything's changed. They can't operate. They're they're bankrupt. Yeah, I can well, see. I can walk through. out of my. I can walk out on my street, and I can literally see the like one out of six that are gone. And it seems like every single week, I see something new that is closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been going through that in the entertainment industry, and have have uh, are you know not just the unions, but um, multiple different sources have have tried to present before Congress, ask for emergency relief. Um, on both the state and the federal level, and it's you know, like the wheels of the wheels of bureaucracy don't move that quickly, and people need the money now, now, now. Yeah. So yeah, it makes me want to scream because what was it like a month ago? Everybody was agreeing the election was coming up right before the election. Everybody was agreeing. Uh, you know, there was an offer on the table for 1.9 trillion from from the right, uh, from the Senate, and Nancy Pelosi wanted 2.2 trillion out of the House, and everybody agreed at that point. $1,200 stimulus. We agree on this. It didn't happen. We said, we'll do it after the election. And now everybody's like, yeah, we're renegotiating it. But now they're negotiating a number half as much. Like the floor then was 1.9 trillion. Now the numbers that are being considered are nine or 906 trillion or 916, I think, depending on whether you're talking about Mnuchin's plan or the jointly negotiated one. And only one of them has a stimulus in it. The other one they completely got rid of the stimulus to help families. And the, the one that does, which is Mnuchin's plan, only has 600 as opposed to 1,200 a person. And the one that doesn't, and Mnuchin, sorry, and Mnuchin's plan got rid of the PUA. The, there's no more unemployment uh, assistance from the government. So, I mean, the other plan has government unemployment assistance, but it doesn't have a stimulus. So either way, the, the help that they're actually sending to American families based on either of these plans right now is significantly less. And it just blows my mind because a month ago, all the plans agreed that we needed all this. Yeah. And in a month they've just, they just said, we don't need it anymore. And there are so many families right now that are hurting. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know where these politicians heads are at right now. Well, I hate to be cynical, but that was before the election. They have your vote now. I, you know, I, I believe it's right. And it's, it's kind of scary because it almost makes me wonder if the reason why they didn't come to an agreement is because they, they, neither side actually really wanted that. <laughs> 
like like you said, they were just saying what they needed to say to get the votes. Yeah, but that's and pretty that standard for vote. politics, you know. A lot of them, everybody says what, what they need to say to get a vote. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's definitely cynical. I, I took a legislation class under um, Senator uh, Levin. So he's, he's 17th longest serving senator in the U.S. Senate ever. And it was a great class. But, you know, as, as cynical as we're being right now, he one of the things that he tried to emphasize very much in this class um, was that a lot of the, the thing that people call being cynical, they really do believe in their heart. They're trying to do the right thing. Like yeah. the, his perspective, at least, was that people constantly um, underestimate their congressmen. That yeah. Most most people that are congressmen really are idealists and they really are fighting for their ideals. And the situation changes. So on one level, I completely agree with you, Ray, because I mean that it, the timing is just too perfect for that not to have been uh, a grasp for votes. But on the other hand, I have this man that I respect very, very much standing up in front of me and telling me that I, I trust, telling me that that's, that happens a lot less than people think, that people really do stick to their guns in Congress more than people realize. Hmm. Yeah, and I do appreciate you pointing out the humanity there because we are talking about people. Um, and nothing, everything's gray area when you're talking about people. I, I know it from politicians I grew up with knowing uh, who were friends of the family from local to state level in Tennessee. And um, my parents were very interesting people who just kind of knew everybody in the state. So um, we oftentimes, you know, every every good friend of the family was an uncle or an aunt and mm. none of them were actually related. And, you know, I would grow up and find out that Uncle Charlie was actually a local, you know, pretty big state official or something, you know, <laughs> and it, I didn't know. But I but I knew a good person and I knew somebody who would do anything for my family, do anything for their family and, and the people in our neighborhood and community. So I, I totally get that. And that's why I did preface it with cynicism, because even, you know, especially these days, it's so easy to have a cynical thought. Um, yeah. but that's not how I feel all the time. You know, that's not how I feel when something does go right. And it's good to, to keep that perspective or find it and hold on to it if you can. <laughs> if you can. I also think that there's something really, I think that there's a certain level of frustration and anger that's extremely justified. And, um, I think it's important to be honest when we are angry, because if we let ourselves go by saying, this is fine, this is fine. It's like that cartoon of a dog that's sitting inside that house that's on fire. You know, if you let it go on for too long, it's ultimately <laughs> going to be the end of you. So to a certain degree, I'm I'm angry all the time. And I, I've just owned it at this point. And I'd rather just be angry and let people know that I am as opposed to, you know, I think anger can I think anger can make change happen. <laughs> Which I know is terrifying, but yeah, uh, I think it's important. So you know, you can be you can be pessimistic, you can be cynical, you can be optimistic, you can be realistic. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think honoring how you feel and why you feel the way you do is so important for everybody involved. Oh, I agree. That's awesome. Yeah, I go to therapy. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Caroline and Raymond. We wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode and let you know that there will be more every week from now until we get fatigued by it. We're building out this podcast as we go. So stay tuned for improvements on our website, our graphics some video clips and just everything else. The time was now to tell our stories. So we're learning as we go. We really do appreciate your interest and support. We truly hope that the personal stories that come out in each episode can help build a better understanding of COVID-19, how it spreads, and how it affects us. If you have a story or a question that you'd like us to address in an episode, please email us at fatiguedpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-A-T-I-G-U-E-D podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.